0: Welcome to the podcast will not be televised.
1: Hello and thank you very much for tuning in. I hope you're well and happy wherever you may be today. Uh, This week we have with us our very good friend, Mr. Simeon Pranger. Simeon is a booking agent from the Netherlands based in Utrecht and uh, Amsterdam, I believe. And he's the co-founder of Treetop Agency. He is one of the most hardworking and professional guys you could have asked to work for you. And I know this firsthand and with experience as he's been booking bear jams for the last six or seven years. Um, and as well as our band, he books a wide range of artists that spans over 17 different countries, such as Black Uhuru, Chainscar Brassica, Roofman, Thomas Oliver, Noah Guthrie and Will Varley. And that's just to name a few. Um, and as well as being a booking agent, he also started his own management company. Uh, so he's clued up on all the latest music business. And we're going to talk to him about the dreaded Brexit and how it potentially affects the touring in the EU. And we compare the industries in both the EU and the UK. Um, And yeah, we really appreciated him coming on and having a chat because he's just moved house. He's got a lot on his plate, but he found the time to have a chat with us um, and we really appreciate it. So I hope you can sit back and enjoy this and learn something and uh, let's crack on. Happy days.
2: You know what? I think that was the best one, yeah?
1: Yeah, I know,
0: right? Maybe we (laughs) should start some kind of... I I was really impressed. We should start some kind of percussion ensemble.
2: How the episodes have progressed? Oh, how they have! Was <laughs> was podcast now percussion ensemble?
3: <laughs> Take it so away. Today we have Simeon Pranger. How are you doing, dude? I'm
4: doing all right, considering. But Happy I miss Day. you guys. What's up? Hey.
3: <laughs> Yo. Yeah, same here, man. Doing all right, considering. At least it's a little bit sun out now, just to kind of you know oh, put, put those bring know, those it smiles really on helps. it. Really, it really does, man. Yeah. I'm a completely different person when the sun comes out. Like, I literally just come out of hibernation instantly. It's, I'm a better me, I'm a better me when the sun comes out, put it that way.
0: <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Oh, I like, the, like, there's now rays of sunshine coming through on, the, on our Zoom uh, connection call for Simeon, which looks amazing.
4: Simeon, yeah. welcome. Thank you, thanks for having me.
0: So whereabouts are you? Where are you based?
4: I'm in Utrecht, right in the middle of the Netherlands. Oh, amazing. I'm in my bedroom. But I've grown adjusted to the whole Zoom thing, so I know perfectly how to place my laptop so you don't actually see I'm in my bedroom.
3: Ah, genius. <laughs>
0: Nothing wrong with that. I'm just getting up my, uh,
3: my what? sheet of info. I, how have you been keeping busy over the last year, man? Have you had, have you had much on? Even though you've not been booking gigs?
4: <laughs> I mean, as a booking agent without shows, I guess... <laughs> Uh, so you need th- to find a new natural baseline do I have to close my curtains I'm completely disappearing in this race. no, I kind of here. like no, it. No, it's sort of added nice.
0: an element of like Star trek to it that's pretty good <laughs> so so how's it been from view of of uh, restrictions on allowing live shows over there because i've had a fair bit to do with a big with, with a company over in Amsterdam and they've sort of had like some level of of events going on and nightclub stuff am i wrong about that over last summer
4: yeah like in the end i'm i'm pretty happy and i, I look back i think like during the whole pandemic i've still been able to put on about 50 shows yeah. um, wow all within like the restrictions but now like my last show from the top of my head was december 4th um, mm. since then we've been in full lockdown and we have an evening curfew now as well so yeah um, that doesn't make things easier but I've um, seen um,
2: I've seen a lot of things on the news I mean I'm sure you've you've probably seen it too but obviously living over in the Netherlands but a lot of people a lot of young people sort of rising up against late night curfews and just the whole lockdown in general have you seen that much in in Utrecht or have you was it well, Utrecht oh, hasn't
4: been destroyed yet, so that's going pretty <laughs> well. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's been some some intensity around it, but I feel like in the news media, it's just been exaggerated. It's been really small groups that have done a lot of damage, but most people are dealing with it fine, I think. Yeah. Um, Personally, I kind of enjoy it because, you know, when you're in a 1500 capacity room with 30 people all social distanced and the bars need to be closed and everything. But the moment you step outside, you're in a busy shopping street. That feels way worse than just having everything closed. Yeah, Um, Mm. Yeah, I I'm like, just keep it like this. I mean, I'm not the economic expert here, but if they can keep it like this until they can actually make a change across multiple fronts instead of the baby steps we've been taking basically yeah. for a year off and on um i way prefer that
3: yeah i mean we've we've recently here had the news that potentially in april in june that those things are going to start to go back to normal and obviously festivals some of the bigger festivals have decided to go ahead a lot of them have decided to pull um is, it, is that the case in the netherlands are the things going to be going on in the summer or is it a case of just everything's locked off because it's hard to know what the right thing to do is isn't there because you know unless it's everyone's vaccinated um
4: up. it's very uncertain I think uh, you're uh, whole, uh, a, a lot of steps ahead as far as the vaccination process goes. It's going very slowly here. Uh, we yeah. seem to be catching up a little, but that's going to be crucial. Um, but actually, uh, this month, they're going to, do the first like tryout experiments with 1500 cap festivals and oh interesting tracking everything oh, wow. and and just doing more research so they have a little bit more of a foundation to build the rest of the summer yeah on. Um, that's so good so i'm that's very really intrigued good. to see how that's gonna go uh yeah definitely. Great news.
2: um just because we we haven't we haven't gone over it yet so I mean, do you want to just do a quick uh introduction of yourself just so uh whoever's listening has a bit of context as to what you do um, and who you are really? I feel like we've jumped into a topic, and then if I was well, we th- we kind of do this, were, don't we? We sort of we start we, talking, we get really excited, and then we go, oh, we, we jump straight into conversation, but we don't actually go
4: through the basics of uh, who you
2: actually are. So, uh, <laughs> oh well, <laughs> I'm
4: nobody. <laughs> no. uh well my name is simeon but you've heard that i'm the founder of treetop agency here in the netherlands um i'm a booking agent for most but i'm also a band manager and do a lot of stuff in between um but yeah i i work in live music you can say that so
0: and the treetops that's that's a booking agency but you also run a record label as well as a separate entity right
4: i mean that's new um oh okay that's uh that's a COVID, uh <laughs> a related. that's a
0: post-incident uh a post-incident uh venture
4: yeah and uh, i kind of started that uh, for two reasons um mm-hmm. one being very selfish uh just because i was bored uh <laughs> live music didn't keep me busy <laughs> enough and, and i'm not one to sit still
1: yeah.
4: um, but on the other hand i noticed that because Uh, of the whole pandemic and the influence that has economically for a lot of musicians that like bands were still releasing awesome music but suddenly couldn't afford their PR teams anymore so I figured it'd be a great step just to undertake for both ways, it helps me and my company to to expand our media relations and build on that, which is always beneficial towards the future. But I've also been able to support the artists who can afford their PR teams anymore to make sure yeah. the music is still being spread. Yeah. Um, and I'm lucky enough to receive some monthly government funding, so I've been been yeah I've been able to do that pro bono for a lot of bands. Um, And I think that's good. It makes it easier for me to book them once that's allowed again because they haven't gone off the radar. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just beneficial for everyone. And it's been a lot of fun just discovering that side of the industry more.
3: Hmm. Absolutely, because I mean, you, cause you have solely been focusing on on booking agents, uh, uh, booking side of things for the last how many years? Because just for, just a bit of context up to our backstory, like you were the first person to book us in the Netherlands. Uh, we went out there on Dave's birthday for like on a, like a self booked <laughs> gig years yeah. and years ago. And in the yeah, it came was in... the
4: sixth birth uh, birthday of the company uh, two weeks ago. Yeah. has uh, oh, so been Six years, but then like in a couple of months, this June, it's going to be the the six year anniversary of me working with you guys so yeah yeah it's it's been a while 2015
2: 2015. yeah June 2015 that was um that was a a weird but wonderful time to so a bit of context I um it's my birthday we all decided to go to Amsterdam for just a bit of a lads weekend and we decided well if we're going to go over there then why not try and take the van and, and book a gig and even if the gig didn't pay us or just about covered some of the petrol costs, we'd we'll have a bit of fun and why not. And we the I can't remember what the place was called, Haneke's Hanne, Hanne- Boom. Boom. Yeah. That was a that was a really, really cool little venue, cafe, restaurant place in the middle of Amsterdam, but and um and yeah, and then we uh, Simeon, had you been you'd been following us for a little while online. Is that correct? And then you just happened to see that we were playing in Amsterdam. Um, game yeah, games that and...
4: yeah, that was funny because uh, I discovered you like as a teenager, as as many many Dutch people my age. I was a bit of a Will and the People fan, um, <laughs> and they had shared your first like demo EP that you had on SoundCloud. Yeah, and I there And back then in is. SoundCloud you had that download version. So within my limited storage space on my prehistoric phone. Before I went on a holiday to Greece, I had downloaded your EP and, well, basically there was ten songs of which six were yours, so uh, I kept on listening to that on the beach and and I fell in love with you guys, but back then like I had just started off and I was only working with like singer songwriter acts that were easy to travel. So like this whole like league of British people coming in was a bit scary to me. But then when I saw <laughs> you were actually coming, I had to reach out and and I was promoting a local festival at the time and we had one of our headliners cancelled last minute. Um, which was perfect because I could immediately offer you a show and, and Wins oh, awesome. that way <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> Oh, so what? You went and played that show on
2: the same trip? Yeah, it was the day after. I think the day after. Oh my god, that's so no,
4: no, no. It was the day before, actually. Day
3: before, that was it. Yeah. I looked at it. Oh, up. Well, it, was it, was. it all fell in place rather well. Uh, what That's an amazing sweet. story. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was Funny awesome that trip that was. It...
0: So what was it that um just from the viewpoint of those early days of working with singer songwriters, what was it that kind of took you to that? What what was your journey to there? Like what were you stu- what took you from being a teenager uh to doing what you do now, basically? Was that an education? Was it just I wanna work with music and just got on with it?
4: Um, well, it's a combination of, of all of what you've been saying really. Um <laughs> Like, uh, like in high school, I, I played guitar, and I was in some shitty punk bands, and I was quite aware of my lack of talent, so I started to being the organizer of all things pretty quickly. Um, I was a huge nerd in high school, and I planned to start studying chemistry, but then I figured I might as well try to be happy instead. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, I started off and I went to, to this arts and economics school, um, which is basically a school of the arts, but their economic trench uh, focused on like the arts industries. Um, and as many others, I started working with one local band called Backgammon back in the day, which you guys obviously know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I soon discovered that that's all good fun. But if you start with an unknown band personally being unknown in the business, there's very little places you're going to go. So we had a, like a lovely two year pop crawl. But that was about it. Um, <laughs> and then when I like after my first year, I visited Seagat Festival that same summer. Uh, I've been listening to to Bear Jams tunes all the time and. Uh, I saw one of my favorite New Zealand artists called Thomas Oliver play the festival and it was his first ever European gig. So I decided to to be a bit straightforward and and, and I found management through one of the stagehands and we started talking. And uh, I told her I was a booking agent. I was not. And <laughs> I told her to uh, to call me if she ever wanted to do anything in the Netherlands. And she ended up calling me a month later because Thomas had been booked for Celtic Connections Festival in Glasgow, and they were covering all the travel expenses from New Zealand. So she was like, "Hey, Simeon, wow, I know I know you're not a booking agent, but I like your spirit. So I'll yeah. give you a week, show me what you can do." Um, and we ended up having six really good shows. And then she was like, "Well, that was that's all good fun, but." Like on an administrative level this doesn't really work so if you want to continue working with us you'll have to start a company um so i did i just (laughs) just turned 20 when i started and uh, basically then i noticed that if you focus on doing quality shows rather than a lot of shows Mm. it's a lot easier um so i started focusing on international acts and uh, bringing those over for a couple of shows, especially if I saw them already touring like the UK and Germany and it would just fit into their routing. Um, and that's how things got started. And then from that first international artist, uh, I worked with Louis Baker, also from New Zealand, and Bear Gems were the third.
0: There you go. There you go. There you go. Tree story. Have, what um... was the uh, inspiration for the, the treetops? Just as a
4: name um yeah that's a good question i've i've tried to think of a lot of sob stories about (laughs) um but really i think if i were to put it in place now like i grew up in just a forest area and i like that like nature and Mm -hmm. the name was available and easy to google because there's no other company called like that so that helped but I mean like, I'll never forget think... it
0: I'll never forget that I'll always remember yeah. treetops agency so, you know what I mean it's a really memorable name
4: yeah and and it felt good and now like after 6 years of working with that name I think it's it yeah it's gotten more meaning to me I yeah. think it also it, it it represents like aiming for for huge heights but yep. doing so by organic growth
3: yeah man i really like I think
4: that. that's something yeah. that's a bit yeah that's a core value of my company and i did not know that back when i was 19 and I had to think of a company name
3: yeah yeah, yeah that's so true mate so so moving from, so you you had you, you, built, you built a you built a repertoire a repertoire a portfolio of artists and stuff and um how does it work? Do you have to work with man- with with um, how qu- closely do you have to work with management and labels and stuff like that in order to kind of get get the artists the the the, the gigs they need, etc. Cetera, et cetera?
4: I mean, obviously, the Netherlands is a tiny country, and for some artists, for most artists, I only represent them over here. Um, for other artists, I represent them across Europe. Uh, so you're way more part of the strategy. Um, I think good communication between all parties is always essential. But in a lot of cases, I get asked to join a team that's already very well set up. So, I like the plans are made, all I need to do is step in and do my part. Um, which is really nice, but in a lot of other cases, I'm part of that building process because I just fall in love with the music and that yeah. team doesn't exist yet and i can be of help trying to build that team
3: yeah um, man totally
4: but yeah in the end it's all like if if the record company or band doesn't promote the music well i can't do my job properly if i don't do mm. my job properly it's very tough for the record labels to promote the yeah. music um so in the end it's really a team effort
3: a, yeah yeah totally yeah totally so what's your um what's wh- your sorry will carry on
0: no, it's all right. I was just going to ask about sort of sizes of shows and stuff you tend to find yourself dealing with, or is it just whatever whatever the artist demands?
4: Yeah. Um, I really like to keep things versatile. Um, one, like, if I were to sign 10 similar bands to Bear Jams, like, there's only limited slots at festivals and everything. Like, there's going to be artists who don't get the shows they need. Um, mm. But it's also just from, like, a personal perspective I like a lot of different kinds of music so I find it very much fun to uh, end up in classical music halls as well as the big festivals and rouchy punk bars and uh, it's a little bit of everything keeps things exciting
3: yeah definitely
0: interesting so it's as much about sort of like finding that journey for the project as it is about a specific model or margin set that you're looking for in an act
4: yeah and I also think Obviously, for different artists, like their audience or potential audience is at different places, so you need to think about that really well. Um, but sometimes I like to really take things out of context too, like one of my fond memories was the first show I ever did at the Royal Amsterdam Music Hall. Uh, just our most famous classical venues. We in the old choir rehearsal room, which is a beautiful room in the basement, we ended up doing a show with Will Farley, who you might know. Yeah, who's yeah. got a lot he's got a big punk following and it was so fun to see doing uh, see him doing that in the Royal like classical music hall. Because you had this like the the Royal Dutch Philharmonic Orchestra was playing the big hall at the same time. So when mm-hmm. those 150 Punkers had to come in. They're like you see, you see those Mohawks and earrings and everything <laughs> pop up in that sea of gray, and it's Amazing. beautiful.
2: <laughs> Amazing, oh, very, cool. very cool.
3: What are your um, ambitions for twenty and twenty for the well, for the rest of this year and next year, man.
4: I mean, I'm working really hard with my management artists to try and really build a foundation so we can come back as strong as possible for after the pandemic, and that's basically what I've been trying to do for the entire company of course but yeah ambitions one thing right now there's just shows that i've moved 18 months in total and it's about time those go ahead just being back on the road and fisting shows that's the core ambition
2: (laughs) speaking speaking of which if uh if from tomorrow covid didn't exist and everything was back to how it was kind of 2019 did you have or do you have any gigs that are lined up currently that you're really looking forward to or stuff that you have booked which keeps getting po- postponed that you know that you're really looking forward to, to hosting and, and going to do you have anything that's like ready to go
4: i mean giving preference to anything is a bit tough uh sure. but i mean things i had in the books for 2020 among others were The biggest shows I've ever put on. Um, That's two tours: one for Black Uhuru from Jamaica, um, and also a tour for Portuguese jazz artist and former Eurovision winner Salvador Sobral in in some beautiful music halls and. They were selling well and everything doing well and like the Black Uhuru tour has been postponed by 2 years now. Wow. Uh, wow. And 18 months for the Salvador Sobral tour and and those are the most like challenging productions I've worked on yet, so I'm really wow. looking forward to those. But I mean my smaller bands are also creating so much good music that I just can't wait to be able to present that to audiences again.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I had, I, my big sort of lockdown business, uh, Simeon's been around platforming live music in um, virtual reality. It's called Gig at the End of the World. Um, so I kind of understand that sort of like, uh, you know, developing bands and like, you know, trying to find platforms for them at this time. It's a difficult, it's a difficult balance. So I really kind of hear you when you're saying about the record label and moving that forward. That's really interesting.
4: Yeah, live streams. I mean, we've had... We've done some fun stuff. Uh, you need to ensure quality. Like
3: at the first not time, not
4: it was nice. a lot. It was a lot of like bedroom singer songwriter mm-hmm. stuff going on, and and you get pretty tired of that. But there has been some fun stuff. Like I've got one Dutch band, completely new, called Roofman, um, with no music out yet, and we ended up being invited by a Chinese ticketing platform to do a live stream, uh, broadcast in China. And we ended up having more than 40,000 wow. simultaneous viewers for an artist with wow. no music out. Like, it, there's been fun stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. But now, uh, but now I wish I could send him on tour there, and that's a bit more tough. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. Did they,
0: all, did, how, did they have a following in China, or was it just that they were on this ticketing platform?
4: Yeah, it was just the big media involved in the whole pla- platform. Right, right, okay. That's interesting, isn't it?
3: It's mad how something can, like, just that quickly be... Just become a thing. And it's like, that's... And there's a lot of these live streams and stuff like that, and the way that people are, are, are taping, paying more attention to writing or their, their brand and stuff, that's something that I know I've even done with my own music. To just sit back and reflect on and look at and actually just tend to a little bit, other than just touring, 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 touring. Which is obviously fun, but... uh did someone's phone just go off then? <laughs> but yeah, it's sorry, how way. unprofessional. No, no, sorry. <laughs> it sounded like Jurassic Park just kicked off. Um, no, I
0: think it was my... Uh, we might have to actually cut that out, FYI, Dave, because I think that might have been a licensed bit of Samsung music. Sorry. No, that's cool. <laughs>
3: yeah, um, I know a yeah. good lawyer if you're into trouble well.
4: <laughs> I know, right?
0: That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Just cut that out. I think there might be licensing issues. <laughs>
3: so you've, you've you've kind of dabbled, touched on it already, Simeon. But if you know, for artists that are starting out, they're looking to like you know play in the Netherlands or get picked up by p- p- either yourself or people like yourself. What is it you look out for in an artist? What is is it? Because you you mentioned obviously they have to be selling records or like at least a, a looking at touring in their own country or in their. Own, uh, is that is that is, is that it, or is there more to it? I mean.
4: I've become a bit more strict over the years, but that's also because I've got 35 artists I represent already. So if I need to take time out of my busy workday as is to th- take something else on, I mean, first I need to personally really like the music. If I wouldn't buy a ticket to a show, how can I put a show on and sell the tickets? Um, yeah. <laughs> but now I'm at a level that there needs to be something... Going on to build on, I guess, and there can yep. be a lot of things. it's a gut feeling kind of thing, yeah, um, but what I'm really happy about, which we have not officially announced to the world but i'm I'm happy to share is that I've got a new colleague um who's joined the company during this pandemic right. um which allows us to to take on some new talent um because he's building a roster, and we're taking that slowly, but um yeah we can take a chance on things again
3: yeah yeah, that's yeah what nice it is. so that's what do you exciting. so what do you think I, obviously we've we've spoken about covid and you know how it's how it's stunted everyone's progression over the last few years but th- that will pick up again but one thing that's happened obviously with with england and where we're from um and it's going to affect our band as well as many others um is the brexit situation um, and we've not really spoken about this in the podcast yet because it's not been relevant, but how do you think that's going to affect us as musicians and, and you and you as a booker for, for bands outside of Europe, for us, for the UK?
4: I've heard, I've heard one person say, um, and I uh, won't repeat who it is because <laughs> it's a touchy one, but uh, in the case of Brexit, COVID is a true silver lining. Um <laughs> but no but it's right if it was,
0: no right absolutely yeah like, now we've got a bit of time to work it out and we can't go there anyway so it's kind of yeah. like because ooh, if we had tours God. on the
4: books and everyone was on the road when brexit hit it would have been complete chaos
1: and yeah, now we right, have I absolutely some agree with time
4: to to work it out because it is so uncertain and unfortunately the british have been Uh, Really tough to negotiate with um, from a European perspective. But as it stands now, I know that the most relevant markets I work in have agreed on free temporary visas for artists, or even no visas. So like for UK artists coming here, Still, we've got a lot of uncertainty about tax regulations and carnage and everything. So I think the cost is going to be a little bit higher. So if you don't have a company on your side willing to invest some money in the first steps, I think you'll see that UK acts start touring Europe at a later stage rather than immediately when they're coming up. Um, And basically the same things goes the other way around. Everything becomes more expensive. So you can only come over when the deals are good.
3: Yeah. Um, so are you saying, like, even with a band like ours, you'd have to get into a position where you have, like, a stint of, you know, six or seven decent shows which make it, you know, financially feasible to come over.
4: Yeah, I and it's going to be interesting because obviously with you guys, for example, like, uh, summer 2019, we did festivals across 10 different countries. And now all those 10 yeah. different countries are going to have different regulations. So it's just going to be a load of administrative work, which Lots I'm afraid paperwork. is going to fall on the shoulders of the bands themselves or their management Mm. teams. Now, especially that booking agencies, big or small, have had to unfortunately fire people and fire their assistants. So there's less administrative support from the company side, I'm afraid. Um, But we'll have to wait and see. Things are so uncertain and I think everyone is very keen on making it work. Um so I have good faith that that we'll find a way to to keep things realistic.
0: Make it do you know what that's been my feeling like the way that France were very quickly just unilaterally yep, there's three month visa, free travel for for musicians, for artists straight away and how that's kind of fallen in line. I think there is a lot to feel positive about. I also Just wanted to say real quickly for listeners who don't sort of know about touring and stuff, a carne is the paperwork that you would use to carry equipment and merch, merchandise in and out of a country accounting for what you've sold within that country. Um, And what's really interesting about this situation is very much the case of while we've traditionally dealt with a situation where we have free movement um for people outside of europe where we have free movement all around europe now very much the uh, actual arrangements for working in a country are literally on a territory by territory basis and that that's going to be a real big problem
4: yeah that's going to be the toughest one i'm happy as far as like uh, exporting acts towards the uk which i'm involved with as well i'm happy that i've had experience doing that for artists from outside of europe Um, So I know the basic ways, um, especially working with the certificates of sponsorship and uh, like the tier five visa um, and things like that. So I feel like it's going to be all right. I just hope that within the next couple of months, all the little details will be cleared uh, just to...
0: Here's an interesting question. Get rid of that confusion.
4: Like things things are so unpredictable now. Like how can how can a government feel like it's in people's best interest to keep things even more fake i think especially in yeah, the well, arts uh, like everything has been a huge blow to mental health and just this just adds to it yeah absolutely to, to i make make just it, wanted to
2: just to cut in there to make it worse we've as as in the uk have had such poor um funding and backup for uh small venues even big venues you know the jazz cafe in camden was um was approaching people for, you know, for emergency money to stay open. And even big venues like that are really suffering. So if, you, if you're if you saying that a lot of UK artists who um, kind of pre-Brexit would have been probably touring Europe a little bit earlier than they may have to now, the irony is a lot of the venues in the UK, I hope, will be okay. But a lot of them are either shut or are really suffering. So it'll be interesting to see over the next kind of few years how the balance between the two sort of evens out as well.
0: I've got a question. Sorry, go on, Simeon.
4: No, no, it's your turn.
0: (laughs) I was just going to say, from what you've just said, do you think it's going to be easier um, for European artists to tour in the UK than it will be for uh, a UK artist to tour in Europe?
4: I... Honestly, wouldn't know at this point, but I feel like it's never easy to tour the UK for anyone. Um, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) like I mean, pre-COVID, it was like that too. Just like hospitality, the deals, uh, funding Mm. systems in place, the UK pride themselves for their importance in in the global music industry. And they are right about that, but their own actual setup within the country is pretty shit. Uh, I totally agree. We've we've always (laughs) said that. That's a really
0: interesting point, uh, because, you know, this has been one of the biggest issues that we've had over this period. It's that we don't have uh, a decent grassroots system in place to support grassroots businesses that are there feeding this internationally massive industry um and and that's you know we're in a situation now where those branches those those um those treetops if you will (laughs) uh pun intended um they are withering because there's nothing coming up the chain there's no there's no incubator system uh that was provided you know that grassroots venues provide by allowing bands the opportunity to get up and support bigger acts and find their audiences and start to uh adapt their skills to to that marketplace and that's that's been you're right a problem for years and years but this this situation that we're in at the moment with with what's happened with brexit and that you know the incident having occurred it's really like cemented the massive issue that there is at the basic of that of those arts um industries you know
4: yeah you're absolutely right <laughs> yeah sucks. it's it's
0: really interesting to hear you describe that what it's like looking at the uk touring scene from the outside in i've not thought of that before the yeah the but ride, i think
4: actually. it's a mentality thing um i think when we have bands over especially from abroad um, but also our national bands our domestic bands like it is in our nature to try and treat them well make them feel welcome make sure they're comfortable so they can put on the best show possible and it's not like that in the uk
3: no it's, not. Um, no
4: it's not especially not at a smaller stages and it's hardly impossible to make an actual profit on a show unless you sell mm. at least three four hundred tickets or more yeah um, mm. just because of the de- way the deals are set up
3: yep that's why we that's why we always tour in the netherlands or, or you know europe <laughs> that's why that's why I, I need to find myself uh an attractive kind happy lady um in europe and marry her as quick as possible
4: <laughs> I'll marry you, Ali. That's
3: fine. yeah, perfect. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sort
2: of podcast is Going back to what you were just saying, the um, whenever we've toured the Netherlands, even the yeah, to the really big, to the really small, um, to really small venues, even the really small towns seem to have quite good resources for putting on live music. Like the amount of small, not villages, but not big towns, small towns that would have. A better um, venue hall or somewhere to put on live music than a lot of places in the UK. It just seems like there's a lot more funding that goes into keeping, you know, the the industry, the live music industry over there, open and thriving as much as it does. Like it's there's a real difference.
0: I've heard. Uh, sorry, can't see me.
4: Yeah, no, that's right. And I think one of the reasons for that is it's it's that it's slightly less commercialized. And that's also a difference in the, in the system that in which the Netherlands is quite unique, actually. Um, because usually you have an agent, then you have the promoter, and then you have the venue. But we have one layer less. Um, so the promoters are working for the venue. They don't need to go out and hire a venue and promote your show. So there's less financial risk involved. Here, the promoter works for the venue. And they can also say, hey, I'm happy to take a loss on this show because I think it's important for us to have it. One, because I have faith this artist is going to grow and we can sell out the room later when they return. So we want to step in early. But also just from a creative standpoint, they want to have a diverse, offer, diverse shows on. So Mm. if they have their shitty dance night on Saturday nights that they make a lot of money with on the bar, they can invest that money into booking upcoming artists in the small room. And in the UK, you go to a promoter and he has to rent that room. Um, So it's different. Um, Yeah. And I think that's one of the big advantages of especially the Dutch music industry. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I have heard it said that uh, by, by actually some some people who uh, I've had this conversation with in uh, venue-based, like, organisations, that they think that one of the reasons that the UK has such a strong scene is because of the extremity and severeness of our survival of the fittest culture at grassroots level. <laughs> and... I I hate to think that that's true, but I find it hard to think of any other reason as to why UK acts have this perception of punching above their weight from viewpoint of the size of the territory that 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 they represent. Um, Gotta hope it's not that because it, it genuinely my experience of of touring everywhere else in the world except the UK is that it's much easier.
4: Um. I don't think you're fully right there um, okay. necessarily um I think any act that wants to grow with their art needs a lot of perseverance and especially looking like I also work with artists from Poland and Hungary and Belarus mm. I imagine belarus now um it's it's super tough uh, for any artist to that doesn't immediately have like a big acknowledged team on board um, to to take those steps. I think the UK bands are lucky that, I mean, since pretty much the 50s, a lot of the major industry partners have based their European offices in the UK. That's mm. something because of Brexit that we do see changing. Um, mm which is going to be interesting to see how things develop. But then also, there's just one massive advantage, and that's that you're native English speakers, the most spoken language worldwide, and it's your native language. So you're obviously uh, a few steps ahead as far as writing lyrics goes and everything, especially in the first steps. Mm.
3: Um. Yeah. I mean, if that wasn't the case, I would be buggered. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I really... uh...
2: (laughs) there's a stereotype for a reason where um if you're speaking if you're if you're an english person most of the time instead of learning another language you just speak louder you just speak english louder and that tends to be the stereotype but it is true
3: it's sadly (laughs) true (laughs) the thing is it's not it's not pushed like you know to learn languages it's not it's not pushed as much in school so it's like you know and then you quick
0: show of hands put up your hand if you speak more than one language Exactly. Yeah. So just for the record, what's just happened there is nobody put their hand up except for Simeon who's been conversing this entire time in perfect English. So that 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 there is a is an example of how bad we are as a nation at languages.
2: I've been trying to learn German for like it's quite three embarrassing years, actually and I'm I'm still really bad, even from like really trying to persevere through and, and make it like a daily thing I do. I'm still terrible. So hats off to you,
4: mate you no.
0: how many languages do you <laughs> <Exactly>. speak <Simeon? laughs> No.
4: how many uh, languages how many languages do you speak Simeon? two and a half i'd say uh no i uh, i got french and german in high school um but i didn't see the benefit because most of the french and german people i meet speak english anyway so i just focused on nailing <laughs> that and <laughs> that makes sense yeah that's pretty much it
3: <laughs> so yeah Simeon, we've touched on this we've touched on this earlier but um you understand the business very well, but for someone that's kind of faked it till they made it, sort of thing. Where did you learn? Um, where did you learn so much about it?
4: Uh, that's a good question. I guess it's 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 bluff that that got me started. Um, I think I've always been someone to. Uh, I like the fake it till you make it approach. Um, I think. Especially when you get started, it's important to be confident about the knowledge that you do have, um, but also just keep your ears open at all times. Um, and also I think something that has really, really helped me is that I started the company in my second year of, of uni. Um, and. For as long as I've been studying and working the agency on the side, I've invested all the profits into visiting all the showcase festivals and not just in the Netherlands, but also going to Raperbahn in Germany, going to the Great Escape, Mm. going to all the panels, going to all the drinks and get togethers where industry people just meet each other organically and not be afraid to introduce myself and just throw myself into that fish of like that sea of people that have been doing it for years and I mean you you learn by making mistakes as well but I think that has been essential. I think there is music management schools out there but the people who end up being teachers are often the people who almost made it in the industry <laughs> and I way prefer going to the places where the actual experts are.
3: Yep.
0: That makes
3: a lot of sense. That yeah. makes a lot of sense mate yeah. What was
2: the um what was the trip that you did to canada was that like a similar sort of scenario like did you did you go to an ne- because you spoke at, at an expo in canada right what was what was that all about
4: yeah i ended up uh, speaking at two um which was a lot of fun um yeah i guess that's just one of those cases where you can really see that it's about organic Growth Also in a network sense, because I do work with some Canadian bands and I was invited because of that. But mm-hmm. I met the guy who's in charge of the conference there five years earlier at Raper Band where he had one of his bands playing. Then a year later, I met him again at The Great Escape where we hung out and he introduced me to all the Canadian industry and the Canadian house they had at The Great Escape. And then I started, I took on a few more Canadian acts. And then three years later, I got that invite to come speak at a conference there. And that's just how things go. And it was a lot of fun. Um, but you asked me what I spoke about and it's, a lot of similar things, just general industry talk. But I did two panels uh, on transatlantic touring for upcoming bands and touring strategies, um, and affiliated digital strategies to uh, to build your fan base from far away as well.
3: Yeah, fair play. Cool. Oh some, yeah, we were, we were, um we're releasing some new music soon, and um we because we just released an album as a band um and we released the album because we were top we tie tying together like you know the journey so far um but we've discovered that well we've come we've come to realize that actually the best way to release music now is we think through singles because it's the way people are listening to music you know we feel that sometimes albums are getting you lose you lose some of the tracks people don't you know to get to get into the playlists etc it's just it's tough to put a whole body of work in at the same time so would you agree is thinking that as a as a band or an artist um to release in in that way
4: I think you have to be smart about it. I mean, not every song is appropriate as a single or, or suits that format. But and I do think no matter what, like, especially technology is introduced to the industries, you still, as an artist, need to make the work you want to make. And that can be a body uh, of music, uh, like an album. And if that's the way you want to tell your story, it's up to us as an industry to make sure that story is told in the right way. Um, But I do agree that especially for pushing your reach, your algorithm, your streams, doing more singles than a traditional album release, uh, pre-streaming times is very essential, especially for upcoming bands. Mm-hmm. Um, the bigger you are, the more listeners you already have, the more you know that what you're going to put out is going to be listened to anyway. And yeah. as long as that's not the case, you need to be smart about it. But I feel like especially press are very far behind. They don't write about singles, hardly. EPs are very tough, but albums are the way to go. So what you see a lot of artists doing is building that reach, those listeners, um, by doing longer album campaigns and easily can do like six to eight singles of a 10-track album. Uh, and then you hit that promotional peak for press uh, when you release that full album. And that's the moment yeah. you're going to go on tour. And it's also still smart because people want to buy merch. And even if yeah. it is as a souvenir, sometimes they never take that CD or vinyl out of the rapper. They just d- put it in their <laughs> on their shelves just to show that they've been there.
2: I've, yeah. I've bought many CDs from different bands that I've seen live, but I don't think I've ever put one of those CDs into a CD player. I don't even own a CD player anymore.
3: I don't think a lot of people do, do they?
2: <laughs>
3: do you know what?
0: I uh, I went to this gig uh I think it well it must have been it must have been a couple of years ago because 'cause it's been locked in our house for a year. But um and they, they had cassettes on sale of the album on the table. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to buy a cassette. And I bought the cassette. And I was so pleased with it. And I got it home. And I took the little, like, you know, uh, like you used to get around cigarettes, you get the little peedy bit. I took the little peedy bit off the plastic. And I took the cassette out of the peedy bit. And I opened the cassette and the smell of the cassette. And then I realised I don't have a fucking tape deck. <laughs> like, literally, just like, fuck, I don't even have one in the car anymore. Do you know what I mean? It's like, Mm. yeah. I've got into... Do you know what? I was never into vinyl when I was growing up, so I actually grew up when records were a thing, because it's come to that time in the episode, guys. It's come to that (laughs) time. This is the thing. We get to a point in in every episode, Simeon, where Will Fenton goes, well, I'm a bit older than everyone else. And we go, how old are you? And and it changes. Yeah, old. (laughs) Old enough to be told that, like... The treatment plan for my leg is that i 'm old when my leg fucks up that 's how old I am anyway um i so I was never into vinyl, particularly growing up, although I had a vine, like my mum had a vinyl player at home, and then we had a few records around i just n- I never got into it. I jumped in at c d and mm. that kind of led me up to sort of the year two thousand and then I was like yeah, man, MP3, like, I don't care that it sounds like it's music in a crisp packet. I can have as many as I like for free, like, into it like that. And so I've only actually – and this is – that's ridiculous for someone that, you know, studied sound production and has worked in sound for 20 years to be like, yeah, MP3 is the way to listen to music. It's crazy. And it's only recently that – and actually, weirdly, through, like, Tidal and listening to high-quality WAV files on streaming – that I've gone, do you know what? I'm going to get into vinyl. And I, and I, that's why I've been... De- like, for the last... Uh, I've now bought pretty much every album that i have loved that previously i'd only ever listened to on mp3 on like old uh Aphex twin records and warp records stuff from the 90s that was that was only really easily available then on uh digital formats and mp3s and stuff like that because it was just so rare but obviously it's gotten really popular now so those record labels have re-released it on vinyl so i've got it all on vinyl now it's been a real kind of like interesting journey round like growing up with media as a physical thing getting into the whole like early uptake of of like electric media and actually working with prs and and ppl through the period that they're going oh well we've, we've been saying for a few years now that this electric electronic internet thing's not going to catch on but actually it looks like it's caught on and we better we better do something about all that money they're not paying us and and being there and seeing that and coming all the way around on that journey and finding myself out the other side of that buying like vinyl records from technology that's from the do you reckon 1900s. the same thing
3: will happen? Like, because obviously vinyls came and had a huge comeback. Like, we've we've got our album pressed to vinyl, and I think, like you say, it's something about having that thing in your hand—a physical copy of something. It's got the artwork there. It's just—it's—it's a, it's a physical thing you can put down. And I think the the record sounds great as well. But do you, I don't reckon the same yeah. thing will happen with CDs and stuff like that. That's—that just doesn't seem to me. Look, look, CDs aren't. Are oh, what CDs it's,
0: coming c- back? CDs
2: no. aren't beautiful. Vinyls and the vinyl sleeve and everything about it can be beautiful. You know, you have the loads of different artwork, the actual vinyl itself. I've probably. I hear
0: you. Interesting fact: vinyl is toxic. It's physically toxic. No, it's physically toxic to you to play it. The act of the needle passing over the vinyl record creates a toxic gas that is dangerous for you. You I feel like I need to buy Britney
4: Spears on vinyl just for the fun of it. (laughs) <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but that's how fucking rock and roll vinyl is. Well, it's could, so
0: it's so fucking rock and roll that as you listen to it, it fucking kills you. Um, you can say the same about bur-
2: <laughs> you can say the same about burning your toast and having carcinogens on the fucking edge of your burnt toast. How fucking rock and roll yeah. is that? Yeah, man. There's a
0: great uh, YouTuber. Well, actually, he's an artist. I, I talk about him a lot because I really like his stuff called Ben Jordan that does an air quality toxicity test. And he's actually surprised by the level of toxicity next to his record player. And he's um, he's doing it on his own records that he's released. And he's like, yeah, we knocked these off really cheap in the 90s. And that was before like there were laws about what you could put in plastic. So there's probably like all kinds of crazy chemicals and stuff in this it's really but then again
4: right? like in the music industry we've been very creative in finding different ways of poisoning mm. ourselves so i think this one is the <laughs> least thing to worry about <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah i was gonna say that earlier when you were saying I've, I've got it on really good authority that you can have a lot of fun with a working knowledge of chemistry um, and <laughs> i was just gonna say that earlier but as uh, an aside <laughs> i mean
4: if this whole pandemic crisis takes on, <laughs> takes another year we're gonna see some breaking bad scenarios going on yeah 100 bands using their fans for different ways
1: uh <laughs> what do you think
4: from that point
0: of view like so we we sort of briefly touched on it i don't know whether we'd hit record at that point but we were talking about festivals this summer so have you got have you got a view of festivals this summer where you are are there going to be any? Are they all on hold?
4: We're hoping for the best. Uh, basically, I've been able to re-option most of last year's deals. Um, mm-hmm. So it's mainly moving lineups and everyone is very hesitant about booking anything else until we know for sure that it's going to yeah, happen. Yeah. We just don't know. Um, but hey, the first so one announced is Bear Gems. they one of the biggest festivals in the Netherlands. So, um, Happy days.
3: We'll yeah see. thanks oh, just keep up the hard work keep up the good works to me mate <laughs> 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 keep, keep it up buddy you're a hell of a guy
0: I'm really excited that was that was the big show last year that I was really excited about yeah. and then gutted with yeah. all this happening well who's um? have you got so-
3: any artists that we should look out for people should look out for any upcoming artists that you, if you're working with or you have on your radar that people should be uh, checking out all of them that's a, good, that's a good answer. That's a good
0: answer. Everyone on my roster. Yeah, everyone on my oh, roster
4: amazing. is amazing. Um, but um, I got the questions in advance, everyone. Uh, so I know where this one comes from. And that's also from, of, co- of course, the record branch that I've started. Um, and I'm really excited. We're going to have our first album out on the Treetop Records next month. March amazing. 19th. Uh, Classic Water are going to release their debut album uh through us so that's something i'm really excited about and excited to work on um and
0: is that uh is that a physical or a digital distribution or both
4: digital distribution first physical product as merch and we'll see uh we'll see, see, what we'll see where we end but it's a newcomer band so happy days yeah
2: um, something that we've touched on with, with previous people on the podcast is this whole concept of, um, being creative through the necessity of restrictions and lockdowns and what we've kind of had to do to, to stay sane and, and to mix music. Have you, have you found that you've achieved much w- because of those restrictions in place or have you had to do something different or have you been proud of something because of having those barriers in the way?
4: Um, yeah, I think I, it has allowed, obviously as a booking agent without shows on, you can focus on different things and, and Mm. the record work is one of those things, but I've also grown a lot better at funding applications for my management artists, uh, which is good, which I could finally take the time for. Um, yeah. And just being flexible. Um, one of my highlights throughout the pandemic was that I actually managed to get one artist from South Africa over on an international tour with speed testing at every border, etc. cetera, everything taken care of. And we ended up in Paradiso main hall, socially distanced, but still just that energy and through flexibility, still being able to do those things, um, I, I guess it's good for your backbone. I've seen a lot of people leaving the industry, which is really sad. Um, mm. It also makes sense, but I feel like the people who get through it um, are going to be very strong and hard to, <laughs> hard to knock over, you know, yeah. And, no, and, and, and I think just generally, I feel like I've been able to make steps with my company, even like expanding the team because of necessity from them as well. Experienced people who unfortunately lost their jobs and therefore uh, are get more entrepreneurial if they want to stay in, in the industry. And I think we're really going to see a new spread of power and I mean, new entrepreneurs standing up because of so many agents leaving big companies, starting their own thing, allowing to do their own A&R and not be judged by the financial demands of big companies. And it's exciting to me. And especially especially since I'm one of those small entrepreneurs, um, yeah. I feel like... There's something excited. It's been a reset button for everyone. Yeah. Um, and despite the fact that it's very tough and I've been very frustrated at times and it's not always been easy, I feel like it's also a great chance to really prove yourself and, and show that you. Do you that know a you know term I've do. heard? Yeah.
0: Yeah, do you know a term I've heard a lot from a lot of my agent friends who have uh, had situations with their previous employers? And that's this term, boutique roster. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm running a little boutique roster now. Uh... <laughs> but you know what? Like, it, it re- I can really connect with that because it is that idea of running this little boutique roster off of my goddamn kitchen table and i'm going to keep the music going regardless of the fact that my big industry company can't afford my salary anymore i'm going to take it on my own back and it's that attitude that's going to keep our industry alive and relevant and make a future for us we i just wanted to go back around one really interesting small topic that we touched on earlier again and that's the reading leads thing So you know about this whole they've announced that Reading Leeds are back on, Reading's already sold out, Leeds is most of the way there. So I had uh, a conversation with some friends who will remain nameless earlier in the week who had a very interesting perspective on this, and that is that the Reading Leeds announcement is in fact a political move by industry. Um and the reason for that is that is that we're coming up to uh, a budget point and the end of the current financial arrangements that we have uh, to support people through this time in the UK. Uh, and the government have brought out a roadmap as to how we are going to work back. And what they've said is that as of a, a date in June, I think it's June the 21st, um, we should be fully back to normal. We should be able to go out and enjoy large-scale events, uh with no uh additional um uh, uh separating needs that we should be able to have a fully unsocially distanced event by then Based on the process of of vaccines and et cetera, et cetera, and that in actual fact, the reason that uh, the organising company and the body behind Reading and Leeds have gone right, let's just go ahead and do it, regardless of the fact that we can't adequately ensure it, and the government aren't going to support us if it can't happen. Because and, and you know the wording in the roadmap is very: if we have achieved this and this and reached this point, then this should be able to happen. But that's being argued that the reason they're doing that is so that they can stop funding uh, parts of our industry that are shut and that they've gone ahead and announced that so they can use that then as a very public, you said this would be fine and you've let the country down again. And I found that a really interesting idea that, in fact, they've done it not because they think they're going to be able to put on Reading and Leeds, but because if they can't, then they'll have a big, big, Platform on which they can make a, a reasonable protest from about the situation with the way that the industry's been handled over here.
4: Yeah. So there you go. There's
0: like my little industry a insider story.
2: Middle finger.
4: Yeah. Well, well, yeah. Well, I like, get it. A massive, it. That's, like, that's he's. But, like, I get it. So it's like... almost a
0: situation of if we can have Reading and Leeds Festival, then awesome. But if we can't, then that's going to be the platform from which we fight back from is the viewpoint that I've heard expressed uh, from that area of industry.
4: <laughs> yeah, no, no, I get that. I guess over here are just our our current political system is a lot different, but over there, mm. obviously you've got Boris Johnson as some sort of like uh, crazy scientist, Trump <laughs> Jr., the Trump Jr. looking guy. And no, but like with that party in power and the way they communicate, I understand that sometimes you need to communicate just as hard and to be able to get your point through um, they are really the defensive type as well also when it comes to all the brexit negotiations and everything it's never their fault um, so using this to prove them they made a massive fuck up if unfortunately that happens I get it really I just hope it's enthusiasm and a positive outlook and this is actually going to happen. And I think the fact that despite all the uncertainty these events are selling out tells us a lot about what the population wants to happen. So, People uh, want live music.
0: People want live music bad.
3: Yeah. For real. There'll be a summer of love, man. There'll be a summer of love again once it's all over, hopefully. Everyone will, everyone oh, will, yeah. be, <laughs> everyone will be gagging for it. <laughs> The thing is, yeah, is like everyone everyone's become like TikTok uh, like TikTok or Instagram sort of players now. I find that there's a lot of I don't really use those tools <laughs> right but everyone's like bedroom bedroom like guitarist or like singer and they're great and all but or they or they're not but they've got thousands and thousands of followers um solely on that one platform and it's it's I wonder whether or not they're going to make that transition from on their phone in their room co- content creators to actual touring musicians because there's a lot of them and they're all doing a very similar thing and it's an interesting like i don't know it's an interesting world out there in that, in that social media that's
4: place. yeah i mean that's something that's something that's so tough to trick i've seen artists with millions and millions of spotify streams and like i've had artists with two million monthly listeners not be able to sell out a 200 cap room in amsterdam and people with 400 monthly listeners but loyal ones being able to do that. So I think live art stands on its own and I think uh, streaming numbers and social numbers really um, don't always say much because of the way playlists are created and people who listen mood playlists and everything not being conscious of which artists they actually listen to. So I think social media numbers and streaming numbers can be, it can say something about how you are, how good you are at promoting yourself. So it is something that's going to be looked at for sure. Um, mm. But in the end, it doesn't tell you much about how many loyal fans you have out
0: there Yeah. yeah no i mean i absolutely agree because it is just a fact that live art of any description but live music is different from recorded art or recorded music it's a different art form you're trying to do different things with the process and you're appealing to almost different senses in a way uh mm. because one one element's a bit more cranial and it's about creating it in your own brain and the other is about you know something that the audience becomes a participant within the creation of that music and that is a vital difference between live performance art and and pre-recorded performance art you know i i just think that yeah and that's really exactly
4: why and yeah and that's exactly why i chose to be in the live music industry because it is my, my job as an agent to find those correct atmospheres where everything can just come together. And I think that's, I mean, I don't don't think I don't like recorded music. I listen to music nonstop, but the true magic happens when just the atmosphere, the music, the audience, everything yep. becomes whole and yep. And there's it's, just this energy that's buzzing that's that's just the phenomenon yeah. of why people still come out to see shows. Exactly, and It's man. a buzz that I've missed a lot, but I'm sure it's going to be stronger than ever um, once it's mm. going to be back.
3: Let's hope so, man. And I'll just honestly, keep up the work, mate, because the world needs people like yourself, mate. We can't, we we as artists can't do what we do at tour if it wasn't people like yourself. So, yeah, big ups, mate. Good yeah, job. and
4: same to you. I mean, thanks, ma'am. Without music, there's little for me to book, is there?
3: Exactly, <laughs> exactly, ma'am. We're uh, yeah, we 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 there's we There's we'll always get through stand this.
0: up just quickly before we call it quit. Simeon, do you just want to give us all of your um your uh social media tags and everything for
4: treetops? Uh, it's treetopagency.com and that takes you everywhere.
3: It's as simple as that man I've I've got one
2: (laughs) extremely quick question before we go it's probably the most important question (laughs) sorry yeah in Utrecht the best pizza shop probably in your country (laughs) the famous Turks First pizza shop I don't know the name of it is it still open and can I go there again when I come and see you
4: oh yeah for everyone visiting Utrecht and being on a budget, like these guys were when they first came over, there's a five euro I mean, pizza shop are. open every night till 4.30 in the morning. Um, it's called Maytop and they uh, have five that euro pizzas. And I believe it is still operating, but I haven't had the Turks of Worst pizza in years because I became a vegetarian in between, um, <laughs> but fond memories. <laughs> yeah.
2: of eight people sleeping on your fl- on your small apartment floor or your housemate's floor eating five euro pizza it was I miss it
3: <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure Simeon doesn't miss that but that's fine <laughs> no,
4: no. Um, right now if I could choose to have eight people in my room and not be worried about keeping a distance from them it sounds amazing <laughs> I know right, yeah, right. <laughs> I know right <laughs> Anyway, big them, big love, Simeon. Yeah, I love you guys. Thanks love so you. much for coming on, Good mate. We work, really, really gang. appreciate it. All right, speak soon, guys. Speak soon, mate. You've been listening to The
0: Podcast Will Not Be Televised. Your host was Ollie Coombs and it also featured Dave the Bass Tyler and Will Is This Thing Pat Tested Fenton.